Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God into um, Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open your Bible. Um, turn on your phone apps if you have them, and then you can follow along up on the screen. Um, just to recap, we've done two services based around um, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 has been sl split up twice. And so far we've realized that we need identity and it comes from the Lord. And We've seen that he desires to take us into deeper things about Jesus for Jesus, but it has to be the Holy Spirit that leads us into those things to give us a knowledge. And we've seen that according to chapter 1, the perfect church is a church that is in love with God up and is passionately in love with brother. And in fact, it's impossible to be truly in love with God if you don't love brother and sister. We've learned that that's the church he's coming back for. I feel like that's the church we're falling into that category, that we love God and love him well, and I'm just thankful for that. This week, we're going to jump into chapter two, which is really about God's masterpiece, and some of the language used actually is the words for masterpiece or poem, poema, and he's trying to show in chapter two to a group of people who already believe that this is what you were saved out of, legitimately who you were, that you can own it, that this was who you were. You can own that, that this is how you were saved. And that this is who you're becoming and how you're supposed to live it out. So this is really, this chapter is really like the gospel compressed. It's like gospel concentrate. Ephesians chapter 2. It's potent. It's full. And it's spoken to a group of people who already know the Lord. Crazy. Um, so this made me think of a conversation Sarah and I have had recently about an author we both love, Henry Nouwen, who fell in love with a painting um, by Rembrandt which was called The Return of the Prodigal Son, okay? So this painting, he would travel to a different country and stay in hotels to just sit in front of this painting for hours. Sometimes even after closing time, 
they would let him stay after to just sit and look at the image that he painted of the father and the found son and the, and the son that was there all along. And then Rembrandt's always in his pictures. I'm not sure why he does that, but I'm not going to be like, Rembrandt, <laughs> come on. So I wanted to let you guys look at this, this picture really quick. That's um, Ephesians. So you can pull up there's that and that. Awesome. All right. So this is the painting. Pretty. Anybody ever seen this before? Okay. So this is kind of a big deal. I'm probably going to get this put on the wall somewhere. Not the original. <laughs> we can do another building fund for the original. It's only $50 million, guys. So I just want to give you kind of some, some insight into what's happening and what's brought to the table. So the father, of course, is holding the lost son, right? So the lost son, he has this, he's carrying into this, you know, the prodigal son, recently being found after absolutely making the mistakes. So he's dealing with that, and he's on his knees, and he's broken, and he's alive, and he's, yes, I can't believe this. The father right above him is just bestowing grace upon grace to this person just showing, I love you even when you were away. I came after you when you were away. And then the other son is to the right. And he looks like a dad, but he's a son. Um, and he comes to the table, and even in the passage that you've all read, he's frustrated. And he even verbalizes his frustration. You know, I've been here all along. You know, like, I've been here all along. Homeboy comes back, and all of a sudden he's favorite. You know, you put a ring, you've heard it all. And and you kind of know that he brings to the table like he's dealing with, all right, so I guess even though I stayed here and did the right things, this person is now allowed to be here even though he did all the wrong things? And this just image. And I don't want you to, to spit this out at me, but I, I just want to ask you, who do you feel like in this painting you, re, you relate to? Like, who do you feel like you connect with and understand? Who's... Who is your compassion kind of pointing towards in this, in this painting, you know? And there's actually five images of people in this, right? And actually six. There's the father, the lost son, the found son. Then there's Rembrandt. Then there's two images in the back, and there's a lot of theories on those. And, um, but who do you feel like you relate to in this passage? Because... In this chapter that I'm about to read you, there's really, there's really two groups of people. There's a group of people, the Jewish community, that have understood, they've understood everything in relation to Yahweh and God. They've understood we're a chosen people. They've understood we are created in the image of God. They've understood we're his select, others are not. They've understood selectedness, calling, God's blessings, God's punishment when they fail to uphold his covenant. This is all people in this passage. And then we have the Gentiles who come into this passage and they are definitely not familiar with being sons and daughters of Yahweh. They are familiar with being excluded. They are not even, they're considered not even in the same class or category as the Jewish people. Now finding themselves at the same table. So in this passage you have these selected sons and daughters, carriers of the Torah. And then you have these newly found sons and daughters, trying to figure out, is this real? Am I allowed to actually be here? Is all this for me? And you see them interacting with the passage I'm about to read in two different ways, right? I want to ask you, God's saving message, 
the grace-filled message that you know was from him, where do you stand with it? Just the simple gospel message. Not anything too deep or intricate, just simply for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How, does, how do you approach that, right? Like, personally, when you approach that, is it just another story? Is it something mom and dad have talked about? Are you a first generation? This freaks me out. Are you a first generation Christian? Do you know how, you know how, for me, it's, this is a sad thing about our church, not our church, but just the church in general. There's not a ton of first generation Christians, right? Like, raise your hand in this room if by some family member or tradition in your past, you grew up in church or around it, or you had family that were Christian, raise your hand. Now, Raise your hand if you are a first-generation Christian. You are the first in your line. Raise your hand. That freaks me out and makes me want to scream. I'm, I'm, and I could get, like, teary-eyed here, but somehow, not grafted in by anything that was taught to you by mom and dad, you found Jesus. Somehow, the grace came to you in a way that was real. That freaks me out. God's called us to those people, right? And here's where I struggle, and here's where I'm also free. When we decided to plant this church, we wanted to see that church could be done in a healthy way. Like We were just tired of it being about important people that were more important. So we've spent the first two years really trying to build a healthy culture where people can come in, be discipled, and then go. Like That's, that's everything to me. If you leave our church for ministry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be high-fiving you on your way out. Going to spread the gospel. right? But one thing that God is breaking my heart for, first generation Christians don't just walk in here. You know who walks in here? Third and fourth generation Christians who want to be healthy finally, which is not bad. That's kind of what God's done. Do you know who God's calling us to? First generation Christians that don't even know who he is yet. And do you know how he sends his message to those people? I'm going to tell you in a minute. Is that cool? Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. I'm going to read this to you. Open your Bibles. Um, now this, is, this has historically been one of my favorite passages in the Bible. This whole chapter 2 has probably done more in my life than any other chapter in the Bible. Huh, so I'm going to read it to you. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air, just a little bit of tidbit of feedback here. This culture believed deeply in beings. They believed even the outer sphere of the earth had a bubble around it, and then that's where all these spirits live, right? We believe that we don't fight a, a battle of flesh and blood, but of spirit, right? We believe this as well, not even as much as them. That, this is what they lived, believed. They had legions of, of angels that they actually ranked, and everyone knew them. Here's who was what. Here's who was what. So when this talks about this, they're talking about the opposite, that demons actually ranked and, and actually about and being and filling the earth to infiltrate um, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. I, Paul is including himself in this. All of us, this is not Gentile and Jew only, Paul is saying, I, child of wrath as well. And he's trying to allude to original sin, which maybe 
You guys aren't familiar with us. Talk about it quite a lot. This is when the apple was eaten. That's when sin entered the world. And previous to that, it was perfect, right? Like people lived to be a million years old because the atmosphere was even changed when original sin happened. So the apple was eaten, and then every person born, born from that point forth was born into sin. What does that mean? That it's not that you chose to sin after you were born. It's that your nature, your nature is sinful. And I was telling Sarah, like, when I'm reading this, honestly, like, I, this is hard for me. This, this, I don't know if it offends me, but I really struggle with, like, I struggle with this passage. You know, like, people are bad. Like, this, like, what am I supposed to go do, God? Tell everybody they're bad? Like, you want me to go tell everybody they're stupid and evil and dead and following flesh patterns? And the, and the world doesn't care, you know? And I think what it is, is it's kind of like ghosts of Christians past that have used verses 1 through 3 in Ephesians to be their line of evangelistic thought. And they approach people to, to prove to them what they don't even, what they can't even clearly see. People can't see that they're dead when they're dead. Okay? People don't understand that they're following the patterns of flesh. They're living out of their actual nature. Okay? People are under the influence, according to this, to the spirits of the age and to the devil, Lucifer, Satan. Those three words don't get mentioned a lot in church. They're under his influence because he is the father of the flesh. And so every person born after original sin up until Jesus lived in this nature. So God had to provide outs through the Old Testament covenant, through the Old Testament tabernacle, through priests. But it's hard for me. And I think it's hard for me because I've heard so many Christians preach the gospel wrongly and trying to convince people how bad they are. Most of us don't really need any more proof of how bad we are. We see it every day. Even Christian, even Christian who wants to live completely holy for the rest of their life, you cannot, you couldn't stand on this stage and tell me you did not sin in the past week. All of us don't need more proof of how depraved we are. It's not what we need. You know, like, that's not what he's trying to do. And here's, here's another truth. Before Christ, librarian as well as murderer are all at the same table. There's not a ranking of who's... No, you're going to face different consequences on planet Earth for your sins here, for sure. You know, if you decide to kill someone, you're going to pay with your life in prison. You know, and a librarian's not going to pay for being a librarian, other than you have to sit in a chair all day, and that sounds terrible. Unless you're a librarian, and then I support you. But all... All depraved, doesn't matter what class, it doesn't matter president, doesn't matter in prison, all depraved, right? So my job, Jesus, is to go into the world and tell, tell them, you're depraved, you're depraved, you need Jesus. You know, step away from me, Kirk Cameron. I don't need to know again how bad I am. And so Jesus enters the picture. Sorry. You know, and... And while in this state, we follow the desires of the flesh, right? And I want to read to you Galatians 5, 19 through 20 in two different versions. The first version is NIV. And this is brutal. This is brutal. But looking at it from your perspective back into it, you can relate, right? The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, 
jealousy, fits of rage, selfish, selfish ambition, dissensions, and factions. Now, just because I want to read it to you in the message, or what I like to call the massage. <laughs> this will not be my primary text, but I like some of the, the phrasings that it does. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, loveless cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper and impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits. Eugene Peterson was onto something when he did that. Seriously, he has a way with words. Do you smell what I'm stepping in? I relate to that more than the first because I feel like when Jesus wants to show me that, he's trying to draw me into something else through compassion. I think when Jesus looks at anyone, sinner, saved, he's trying to take them, look up here everybody, from here to here always, before salvation, at salvation, sozo, continually being saved, and always reaching back here to walk us over here. Always, even today for you, saint, fall, falling in love with the Lord. He is trying in some way to say, I see you and I would like through compassion to draw you over here. And it will only happen through faith. You cannot work at these things to get this. It's going to have to be me saying, my grace is still saving you by your faith. And in that, I'm going to draw you over here and works will be produced. That's good stuff. You know, and, and as I look back at my life, um, I didn't sense that I was following the spirit of the air and Satan when I was not at Satan. I didn't sense that. It wasn't like, oh, today I feel like I'm probably just going to wake up and follow Satan for a little while. It's not that, right? You know, and I love in this passage, he's talking, listen to this, you need to get this. He's talking to believers that have already received grace and have tasted it and understand grace so that they can look at grace while looking back at the depravity. We don't even know how to look at sin without Jesus' lenses. We don't know how to look at this without this. And when you look at this and compare, and compare it to this, it makes sense. We don't want that, right? I don't want to be so lonely I do dumb stuff, right? I don't want to be so lonely that I abuse people. I don't want to be so lonely that I try and take advantage of other. I don't want to be so insecure that I'm always trying to prove myself to someone. He's reaching into us and saying, I saved you. Now look at this. And we can compare. I used to sense deadness. I wouldn't have said I sensed. I did. I, I guess in my life what I felt was completely alone and empty. You would have never seen it. I, I did know that was there. Like if you think back, think back in your mind to when you weren't saved. What were the thoughts, you know? I almost guarantee anybody that's honest wouldn't say there was like a lot of good stuff happening in your brain. There wasn't like this endless fruit, you know, pre-Christ as much as this searching for something that's missing, you know. Something is not right in me. People don't need to be proven that. People know that. Something is not right in me. I don't know what it is, you know, and it points back to original sin. We're originally created in the image of God. He started his masterpiece even before you existed, 
created in the image of God. You look like him somehow. Every one of you, you look like him. His masterpiece began, then sin came in. He knew it was going to happen. I can't explain it theologically. I'm sorry. Jesus comes. He continues his masterpiece to finished works. That's good stuff. So I want to read you Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness of to us in Christ Jesus. I have not been able to shake that he will show the incomparable grace through us. How is God trying to show the world who he is, right? Like, this is the climax of this story. This is the climax of the Bible. This is what it was written for. Christ sees our, everybody say one through threeness. Okay. Verse one through three, Christ sees that. He sees that. He sees our one through threeness. And he has compassion. Can you bring up Psalm 145, verse 9? He has compassion. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made, not just who he has recreated. Can you bring up the next ones, Romans 5, 8? Romans 5, 8. And he sends compassion to the helpless. Look at me real quick before you read it right here. We're the helpless here. If you want to know who God cares about in any situation, who is helpless? That's who he cares about. Period. Even if they deserve it. Whoever is helpless is who his compassion and grace, his plan, is attacking. Do you know who that is? All of us. All of us helpless. This is why I struggled with one through three. I didn't choose my flesh to be, to be what Adam and Eve wanted it to be. I take ownership of who it is afterwards. But God sees us scrambling, not being able to live full lives. And he has compassion on us. And he always pursues with compassion. Always pursues with compassion. If he feels or senses or even understands compassion towards anything, something is going to happen. That's him. That's why when you, we did this on Monday night at our life group where we like to go deeper. And we had imaginative prayer, Richard Foster. And we, the thought that maybe some of us don't like to pray. And how do you know if you're supposed to pray for someone? Do you have compassion for anyone? Because every healing in the New Testament was preceded by compassion, every single one. It wasn't just let's pray, it was compassion. Somebody's heart was stirred with compassion, and compassion was funneled into something, healing. Who should you begin to pray for? Do you have compassion for anything? Also, do you not have compassion for something? Tag team a buddy, maybe they have compassion for it. You want to see God answer prayers? Where's the compassion from your heart shooting towards right now? Begin to pray for that. Begin to pray for that because that's how he is. That's being Christ-like because he has compassion on us while still dead. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You need to get your head around that. I'm not trying to speak angrily. While you did nothing, he came after you. While the people around you who are in sin did nothing, he sends us to them. Before they did anything. He's not waiting for them to change their behavior to be loved by us. Does that make sense? And it's so good. When we taste and see this gospel, it's so good. It's like John 13. 
or 14, and you can pull it up. Ephesians. Sorry. <laughs> Ephesians 2. Can you go back? I think it's still in there. John. Maybe it's not in there. Did I put John 13 in there? All right. This is where it talks about once you taste how good it is, you never want anything else. Once you taste how good he is, you never want anything else. And so he's saying to them, I want you to taste and see, but God having grace comes after us. And then we get to live in these realities. I won't, I won't break these down for you. We're seated in the heavenlies with Christ, right? We're raised with Christ, where we have divine favor. You know, all these things are deep impossibilities, all accessible now for us. And then it gets to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And this is where we're going to land, and this is where we're going to spend a little bit of time, and this is where we're going to pray into. You can pull up Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. And so here, this is the great argument with a lot of churches today. A lot of people, you know, like, who deserves to walk into the kingdom of heaven? How does God send his mercy? I do not believe God's trying to convince all of you. Even, even, even saint in this room struggling in sin, I do not believe he's trying to just convince you how sinful you are. The point of Christianity is not to be sinless. The point of Christianity is to be Christ-like. Does that make sense? Some of y'all just had a problem with that. The point of Christianity is to be like Christ, not the end. It's not sinning is not the end. If it was, then the Pharisees would have been right on. The end, end thereof is be like Christ. And so there's a harmony to this passage. Everybody say grace. Everybody say saved. Everybody say faith. Everybody say works. Grace, the word for that is charis. It means undeserved. You can pull the slide up. Undeserved favor. Right. Faith, the word for that is sozo. Many of or saved, the word for that is sozo. Many of you know that word. I'm going to read this to you. You can go back to the previous one. Um, saved, sozo. Saved, healed, preserved, rescued. Faith, the word for that is pistis. You can bring the next one up now. God's divine persuasion and workmanship. One of the most, my new favorite, most beautiful words in the Bible means poema, poem, masterpiece, work of art. Finished work considered to be best by artist. Okay? Now can you, can you bring up the newly translated with definitions infused understanding of Ephesians 2.8, which I think is next. This is adding in the definition. And you can write this down if you want to. This should destroy your face. Like you should be destroyed. By undeserved favor, you were saved, healed, preserved, and rescued. Not through your own, but through God's divine persuasion. And that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And you become his workmanship, or you become his poem, or you become his poema, or his masterpiece. This, to me, is the reason why we exist. You know, like, Henry Nouwen used to sit in that art studio, or where do they put art? Museum? Gallery? Super good at art. He used to sit there and stare at this, and he was overwhelmed to tears sometimes. You know that you 
please look at me. You are seated where you're seated for everyone around you living in one through threeness to look at you and say, I cannot look away from the beauty that is that. Not because you're perfect, but because you are like Christ. Does that make sense? You're God's poem. So will you pull up the painting again, please? So when you look at this, right, like I always relate to the prodigal son. I'm never mad at somebody for coming in. Just to be honest, I was super away, super distant. That I could be saved to me is crazy for what I did to people. I know there are people in this room that look at the brother and say, I have done this my whole life, and I feel like I deserve more. They get mad at God. I deserve more. I'm waiting for you to come through. I know that I've never, I'm not bragging on this. I just don't understand that line of thought. I've never been at, looked at God and been like, why? You, you know, I've never done that. Nothing good about me. I just, I definitely, if anybody doesn't deserve him, it's me for the stuff that I lived and did. But many of you look at, look at the person like me and you're like, him? Really? I've been here my whole life, you know. But here's the point of this painting. And even, I think it, we should rename the prodigal son. I do. Because as Henry Nouwen would say in his book, we should all read together one day under a tree. The point of this story is not to become like the prodigal son. And it's not to become like the brother who's been there. The point of the story is to become the father. The point of the story is that you would say to prodigal son, and you would say to person saved, I will give everything for you. That's Christ-likeness. The point of the story is to become the father where everyone else in the picture seems like the main player, but you actually are. And there's no one who is unreachable. And he sends us in with grace. He sends you in not to prove their one through threeness, but to show them something they have never seen. Grace. And there are people in your life who deserve to be punished. He sends you to those people to be the Father and to give what is not deserved. That is Christ-likeness, and that is what it means to be His. Not just to be sinless. So Christians struggling today, don't exclude yourself. Feel the Father's hand reaching into this depravity and saying, I want to take you over here. I want to lead you over here. Accusing Christian who points finger. Stop pointing your finger at people and proving their sin. They don't need that. They need to see what's given when they do sin and is undeserved. I'm not going to tell you a show I watch because you'll all judge me. But there's a, a really gritty crime drama. And I won't tell you the channel it's on because you'll all rejudge me. But I like crime dramas. I see grace in it. I see, I saw Jesus in the face of Edris Elba in a show. And I can't explain it. But there's a, he plays the part of a gang lord. And in the show, actually, somebody who get, just got out of prison, who used to be like the roughest of the rough, gets out of prison after being in for 15 years, wants to get back into the game it's a lingo, you know, we use for the streets. Um, and then sees the depravity in it and says, I really want to start doing something with my life. Decides to open up a, a boxing ring in the hood. Okay? <laughs> I'm going somewhere. So he has about 20 gang members that he recruits off the streets during selling drugs. 
They come in, and all of them are disrespecting his stuff, and they're disrespecting him. They don't know that this dude used to be, like, way tougher than them. He used to be the guy. And the first response he has with them is trying to prove to them how he's still hard. You know, like, I'm still hard, still got it. And none of them care. Because the only language they know, where they come from, is I'm going to be tougher than you or I'm going to die. That's it. And so they show him, I'm tougher than you, even though they're not. And he leaves that and he goes to talk to somebody. Why is this happening? He says, you have to offer them something that they don't deserve. So he goes back to the gang and all of them are making fun of him. And he, while making fun of him on the streets, which in their world is like punishable by death. You could shoot somebody or cap somebody for that. He looks at them and he says, I need you to forgive me. As they're accusing him, I need you to forgive me. I need you to forgive me. I need you to forgive me, please. What happened the other day was my fault. I should not have tested you. I should have listened to you. He stepped in, and mid-show, I'm in tears. Like, always the weirdest times for me. Why can't I cry at, like, normal stuff? Weddings, I cry at the weirdest stuff. God broke my heart and said, this is a picture of us to a world that doesn't care how bad they are. They need to see grace. They need to see grace. Am I one of those preachers that everything is grace and just do twirls and fields and you can do whatever you want? That's not what I'm saying. But if your gospel includes somehow alleviating grace at any point, it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can promise you that because it's founded on giving people what they don't deserve and restoring people to life who don't deserve it. And because of that, them wanting to then go work. By grace, you are saved. And faith in that will create works, the kind of works that make you sit down at people's feet and love them back into the kingdom. That's being Christian. So at, at, a, at a chance of doing something dumb, can I see the mic? I'm going to give you one minute, too. person who gets up here who's like, I just got to talk for you. I'm not letting you. I'm not a bad pastor. I'm not trying to be mean. I will not let you talk for a minute, more than a minute. You understand me? You try and take it from my hands, I'll take it back. I'm just telling you, this is the way it's going to happen right now, okay? First generation Christ, Christian that raised their hand earlier. I would just love to hear how it happened. Just, just one minute, if anybody is bold enough to stand up here and say, Okay, so the best way to explain it, it's funny because I wanted to come up here and I said, Josh is in charge. He's the head. If you want me to speak, God, because I wanted to share a vision. So I'm going to use the vision as my way of explaining how I came to the Lord. I wasn't expecting that. Um, the way I came to the Lord was before I started college, I was homeless, and I kind of lived all over before that, if you know a little of my story. And I sat across from the pastor of Wesley, and I was told my testimony, whatever, for the first time to him. I was 18 or 19 years old. And sobbing, obviously. I'm not a huge crier, which is funny. And he just took my hand, and he held my hand, and he said, this is really weird, but you're my daughter, and you're supposed to be a part of my family. And I was taken into that family, and I changed my name. And that having that tangible love of the Father, and some I mean, that was him, but that was Jesus more than anything. You know what I mean? That was God. And vision I had that I was praying about this morning and when we have our time of prayer I want people to come up and get prayer and it was this vision of me walking in with 
um, rocks tied to me, and that's how I was before Christ saved me, rocks into water. And I'm just walking forward, and I'm completely submerged, and then I lift up, and I'm in this beautiful white dress. For guys, you're in this beautiful white robes. We're in robes, completely dry, Um, and, and the Father's saying, you are new. That is the truth. You're chosen. You're redeemed. I'm adopted. I am forgiven, and there's people that have rocks still tied to them, and you can't wear your garments of praise and have rocks, and I'm just, I pray for the Lord, the Holy Spirit to move in your heart and for you to, you can get free. God can free you himself right now, but he calls us to a body, and he wants you to open up, and he wants people to speak truth into you. So I just, I'm praying that you come up and you get prayer, or you turn to the person next to you and say, this is my rock. This is how I feel rejected, and I want us to speak truth in each other, so. It's good. That was a minute in the Lord's kingdom. Who else? First generation Christian. Who's, who will be brave in under a minute? Your story's so good. Thank you. All right, you got two. We got two people. One minute, one minute. You guys both come up here. Pressure each other. Okay. He said first generation Christian. I believe it's first generation believer you can go to church and not be a believer so my family went to church we it was a war zone my family was a war zone won't get into it my mom was an alcoholic and in 10th grade a teacher who knew my parents and had asked them to come to Alcoholics Anonymous and the other like support group um, they refused they didn't have a problem so she said I'm crossing enemy lines and she invited me to Al-Anon you know Alateen which is the teenage version, support when you have an alcoholic parent. Well, I was raised Catholic, and I had to sneak out of the house, not to drink, not to do drugs, but to go to the Baptist church <laughs> on Thursdays <laughs> to go to Alateen. And that's what I did. And that was the first time I heard scripture. That's the first time that God started to speak. It's the first time I had prayer. Um, and that was my first small group. So that's how I eventually became a believer, even though I had technically been a Christian. Amen. Thanks, Veronica. Good morning. I'm Sharon. Um, I grew up in Ohio in the Cleveland area, and my dad was Catholic, and my mom didn't want us to be Catholic, so we were raised Lutheran. And um, during my childhood, I always had dreams. The Lord would give me dreams about, like we used to do seances and stuff like that, and he just gave me some dreams and just said, don't do that. So I didn't, I wasn't saved, but he spoke to me in, in real ways like that. And um, as I became an early, like preteen, my sister was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. My mom had always been sick and had some sort of illnesses that were later diagnosed as Epstein-Barr and chronic fatigue, and my dad was going blind. So, and I was the youngest in my family, so we had all this stuff going on, and it was just really hard to deal with. A lot of friends doing drugs. I know my brother was, were, especially my one brother was into drugs. And so there's just a lot of um, turmoil and um, discontent and just didn't really know, you know, the right way to go. And I knew that I was headed in a, in a not good situation. In the meantime, I was getting involved in church and around good people. So the Lord gave me that. And um, it was actually, I was getting confirmed. And the pastor finally said, if he, he just said from his heart, he said, and he was a believer, and he just said, we want, I want you to walk down the aisle 
as a Christian, and if you've not received Christ yet, here's an opportunity. And so I just did that quietly at home, so there was no, no fireworks, nothing super special, but I was the first Christian in my family. And so later, I was always praying for my, my siblings. I still have two that are not saved, so the rest of my family is saved. So praise God. <laughs> Is it, are you first generation? Huh? First generation Christian? Yeah. Not a great. Come on. <laughs> One minute. One minute. Oh, you, you do the buzzer. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, I didn't really want anything to do with Christianity because I was made to go to all these different churches all my life. And all of these people were abusing and abandoning and neglecting, and it was just a thing. The thing that brought me to the foot of the cross was pain. Pain because I was living like they were. I was an alcoholic with children. I couldn't get sober, and I, and I just I went into a Christian treatment center and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ 27 years ago. But But the other thing is... I had to come to River City to start desiring and realizing I didn't have this. Now, I've said it, I've taught it, I've done seminars, I've ministered it. But in hearing Josh with these two, I pictured myself, in fact, I told Bill, I think, I pictured myself about halfway across from this one to that one, trying with all my might to get there. But I was trying this weekend, God gave me this huge download and brought me from here to here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he restored my hearing, both of my hearing, the hearing of my heart and the hearing of my ears this weekend was healed. All right, if you guys will just stand. Um low standards. Amen. Every, every Sunday this month, communion is available. We won't have anyone up there administering it to you, but you understand how we do it. If you would like to take communion, it is available over here. There's gluten-free and gluten-full on both sides. If you need prayer today, we want to pray with you. All of our prayer teams will be on the sides ready to pray. If you're not a Christian, first, fourth, fifth, sixth, fifteenth generation, and you want like this, what we're talking about, this grace pursued Jesus coming after you, we would love to pray for that with you. Um, it's going to be grace that gets you there, though. It's going to be him and his grace that leads you into it. And so today we're going to give these guys a few moments. We're going to enjoy this together, communion together, prayer together. And I'm going to pray over you right now in Jesus' name that your sons and daughters in Jesus' name will be full, Jesus, of your grace and that we would be saved, as it says scripturally, continually saved and in a moment saved. Sozo, God, and that our faith would be built in that so that we can go work, God. And that's to look like you to the lost, broken, and hurting. 
because we are saved by grace through faith. Nothing we've done to deserve it. It's a gift of God. We pray that the gift of God would be enhanced today in our lives. We just believe, Jesus, that you can, just like you healed Sarah this weekend, you can heal hearts and bodies. You can heal both. So we ask right now in Jesus' name for healing, for healing in Jesus' name. Whatever it is, God, nothing is too small. He has compassion for you. Many of you, I just, I just prayed, and you just thought, yeah, but I've been praying. He, I just really sense that he wants you to know he has a burning compassion for you right now in your stuckness and would like to reach his hand in. And I just thank you, Jesus. We love you guys so much. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for this church. God, continue to bind us together under you. A three, four, five, six, seven chord strand. Go with us this week. Be with us this week. You guys are free to hang out in here. We're going to worship, pray together. You won't hear me again. God bless you all. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.